from the Rose City in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon, home of bikes, books, bridges, beards, food carts, startups, and indie coffee. Grab your dog, snatch your hammer and beer, leave your umbrella at home. Welcome to the Tiny House Podcast. It's the Tiny House Podcast. I'm Perry. I'm MJ. And this is Mark. And who? What are you doing to your mic, man? I'm just trying to figure out what we're going to talk about. Today. Okay. <laughs> because uh, the last he's episode, playing with his mic. The last time we did, mm. I'm fondling my mic. Yes. <laughs> I don't know why he's I'm doing that. Creepy. I know. Okay. It was. Um. <clears throat> so I don't have much to say to the, as a preamble because we said it all the last episode. I don't know that we said it all, but we said a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I got to amble. Go for it. <gasps> Fixer Upper TV show. Oh, yeah. Just oh, announced, yeah. yeah the the end of the, yeah. Last season. How many seasons was that? Five. Yep. They, they have a fifth they'll be releasing and then that's it. You know, there's something really admirable about going out on top. Mm-hmm. I totally agree with that. And watch them sign- sig- syndicate that thing. Mm-hmm. Right. Those. Well, and on top of that, they're merchandising. Um, yep. They're merchandising plus their Airbnb. Their cupcakes. Plus, yeah. Damn. Plus their uh, cupcakes. That one I didn't hear. They got yeah, a bakery. They, they really? made a bakery. I knew they had, um, they also have, of course, their shop, which I heard yep. is going to actually start, is going to be franchised. Really? Wow, really? Um, yeah, Magnolia. So um, they are the best thing to happen to Waco, no. uh, oh. Texas. Like, isn't that amazing? Can you imagine Since what David they have Koresh. done? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. I said it. <laughs> you did. You did. That. You did. And <laughs> I remember that only because I'm an Adventist. You're an Adventist? I was. I didn't know that. I was raised in Adventist. So I remember that because everybody didn't really understand how how creepy and cultish Mm -hmm. Adventists were until that happened. And then I was like, yeah, now you know what I went through till I was 18 years old. Wow. Um, Yeah. So that, but, but I absolutely love them. Um, Mm -hmm. Mark thinks that, um, that uh, the guy, oh, what's his name? Chip. Chip. Is just too over the top. Just too creepy. I love him. He's Mm -hmm. so funny. Yeah. He reminds me of Pete Nelson a little bit. I don't know Pete Nelson. P. Nelson either. is the Treehouse Masters guy. Oh, okay. oh, yeah. They remind me of that unapologetic, mm-hmm. wait a minute, unapologetic, over the top, mm-hmm. constantly loud, constantly talking, constantly not afraid to be crazy. He's kind a of goofball. Person. He was yeah. a good balance with her. Yeah, because she's so buttoned down. Yeah, buttoned down and straight laced. And, and he's just nuts. Yeah, he is. It'd be, it's great on TV, hard to be married it to. It would be hard to be married <laughs> to. And maybe he's not like that. <laughs> maybe not. I don't know. They'd be fun guests. Yeah. Well, speaking of fun guests, we have a really fun guest in the studio today. In the studio. Another one in the studio. We are definitely on a roll. We are. Dylan McGaster. Did I get that right? You nailed it. I nailed it. Oh, no way. That's a first First time time ever. ever. Yeah. (laughs) Most people mess it up. Okay. So Dylan McGaster is a YouTuber. He has a a quarter of... So YouTube says a quarter of a million. A little over a quarter of a million um, uh, subscribers to his channel. And he goes around... You guys probably know him if you're in the tiny house business or tiny house industry, tiny house uh, movement. He goes around basically interviewing all kinds of interesting people who are doing interesting things with their dwellings, most of which are mobile. Is that right? Uh, the channel tends to be centered around mobility, but I don't exclusively do that. It's yeah. just kind of I fell into that because at the moment I'm mobile. I live in a van and I've got, I'm living the van life. So. I tend to be around a lot of people in vans or mobile dwellings, and yeah. that just tends to show in the channel. But so, I don't, I'm not exclusively mobile. Right. And when you say you live in a van, it's not like you're living homeless or something like Down that. Down by the a, river. You've got, yeah. a tricked out, you've got a tricked out <laughs> van that you outfitted yourself. 
Yeah. It's actually quite awesome. Yeah. yeah I, um, I've got a 1992 Chevy G20. It's now got almost 100,000 miles on it. I bought it with 65,000 miles on it and uh, bought it for two grand and cruised around in it for like a month and a half with no build, just with a wheelchair lift and a chair in the back. So I threw down a mattress in a cooler and, you know, roughed it for a little bit. Proper, proper, uh, yeah, roughing it, camping. That's a, a hard shell tent. There. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did that. And then uh, bought it in Maine, actually, because I was in Maine at the time and drove it back to Kansas City, which is where I'm from. And I spent a month building it out in Kansas City. So I stripped it, took out the wheelchair lift um, and the chair and all the siding and all that, and then insulated it, built up the walls and now it's like a little log cabin. Yeah. Um, I've got seven and a half gallons of water and a fridge and solar power, and um, it works pretty well. Very cool. So it's so interesting. There's so many questions that I'm sure we, the three of us, have for you. The, the first one I want to ask is, how much money are you making off YouTube? Um, it really varies because like the way YouTube works is you've got ad revenue, which is based on the amount of views, and ad prices change daily and probably more than just daily, probably like hourly. Mm. And your ad prices also depend on like, okay, what demographic is it coming from? What country is it coming from? Um, All of that kind of stuff plays in. So the pricing is quite volatile as far as ads. Um, So there could be like a 50% disparity um, between each month just from ad rev. But that's just one uh, revenue stream. I've got the YouTube ad rev and then I do brand deals on the channel, which is just working with other companies and integrating advertisement into the videos. Can and I just stop you and say that those are the most interesting parts of his videos in some cases. <laughs> the way you do them are so creative and, and entertaining for me. It's almost like worth watching that part of your, often I, I skip through them, but yeah. But it's one of the most interesting parts of his show. To wait for the sponsors to Yeah, to hear how he does the sponsor. I'm feeling laughing cow cheese today. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, thanks. That's uh, whenever I I originally started doing ads just the way like most people on YouTube do it, just talking to the camera. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, hey, how about I just put in a little bit of effort and see what happens? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and it turns out that uh, a lot of the viewers are like, hey, I love the ads. It's like, well, shoot, if you love the ads. I'm definitely not going to stop doing it. Exactly. You know, it's like, how many can we push in while you're still saying I love the ads? Like, you know. But uh, that's, that's awesome. always a great thing to hear that people enjoy the advertisement Very because cool. it's not a common yeah. uh, comment. You know. So, so would you say that the revenue balance between the ad sponsorship and the the uh, YouTube is what? 50-50? So. So right now I've got like five streams of income. Those are two. And then I've got Patreon and then just affiliate links. Mm -hmm. And so the Patreon and the affiliates are probably like 10, 15% income of my income. And then I'm working on bringing the brand brand deals up to like 60% and then whatever the rest of that would be YouTube. So those aren't exact figures. I don't have the exact figures because... I didn't prepare you for the math quiz. Yeah. So the last 25% yeah. would be um, ad rep, basically. We what? didn't tell you that you had to uh, present your tax. Uh, yeah, my tax, tax return. Bar review. Yeah. Morning, President. <laughs> <laughs> Should I just pull out my financing app? And exactly. show it all out on the table? Exactly. So one last question about the revenue. How, how, many, how many people on Patreon are, are your patrons? Um, right now, I've got 55 patrons. Oh, yeah. wow. So and, you just recently started or something? Well, I've been using Patreon for a while, but um, in all honesty, I've been kind of slacking on it as far it. as like keeping, because it's 
I mean, I'm the only person that works on all my stuff. I mean, I've got managers, but as far as the actual content and managing my different platforms, it's just me. So it gets overwhelming whenever yeah. I'm doing YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. I don't do Facebook. YouTube, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and Patreon. It just like kind of gets to be too much because yeah. YouTube is so um, engaging. It takes a lot of effort. Right. Um, and so I've been struggling with keeping up with the Patreon, but I've been looking at um, shifting my focus more heavily towards Patreon so I can really... Because those are the people that like really care about the content, well, right? Yeah. They care sure. enough to support yeah. it. Um, so I really want to devote as much energy as I can to them. But mm-hmm. recently it's just been like, just focus on the channel, keep the channel going. Um, because that's like, if the channel's not there, nothing's there. So you said, you I can s- so relate. I'm, you know, building tiny houses and running a sponsorship PR campaign on social media. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, it's like the sponsorships, obviously, you know, that the, they need, you need to put in the blogs and the times and the post and the cross posts and the ads and the, all that stuff. But at the same time, it gets, really, really uh, time-consuming to do both at the same time. Yeah, yeah and it's so abstract work. Mm-hmm. Like, it's all just up here in the right. ether mm-hmm. that exactly. you just kind of, like, get lost in it sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, oh, did I tweet today? Did I, like, Instagram? Right. Like, there's just so much of it going on, and it's all just digital and in cyberspace. And, like, sometimes I just want to hang out in reality and do yeah. some stuff in the real world yeah. instead right. of just working on the internet. Yeah. I wonder if people, I wonder if people wonder how on earth did it, how easy was it to get to 200,000, 264, to be honest, ac- hey accurate, 264,000 people subscribing to your channel? Mm-hmm. What was it? How many years did it take you to get there? What did you have to do to get there? Yeah. So I started filming in November of 2013, basically. I, that's whenever I decided like, hey, I'm going to pick up a camera and start doing this. And that's whenever I committed like, okay, YouTube is, I'm going to figure out how to make it work. No idea how I'm going to make it work, but it's going to work. And so I started with like the (laughs) classic, really, really bad, uh, like comedy sketches that people try to do on YouTube. It's like, Hey, I've never made anything before. Let's start with the hardest genre comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Unless you've just got that in you, it's really hard to translate if you've never done it before. So that flopped, obviously. Um, for many, many reasons, mostly because it was terrible. <laughs> uh, so I, I did, I did comedy sketches for a while, and then I did like the the shameful YouTube challenges, like eating habaneros, and you know, like the classic, just self deprecating, <laughs> you know, whatever. Like you think it's gonna work, and it's not gonna work. And and I'm so glad it didn't work because like, would I want to be the guy known for eating hot peppers? <laughs> no. <laughs> Like I, I'm terrible at spicy foods. Like definitely not what I want to do for a living. Um, but so I did that, and then I switched to um, making travel videos for a while, and I did that in a specific format on a different channel. And then I switched channels, doing travel videos, and then I started up this like news channel, um, and then I landed on what I'm doing now, which is the short documentaries. How did you get to? I mean, why did you? Why did I switch to that? Well, um, part of the reason I think YouTube wasn't working out for me in the beginning, like I said, there's a plethora of reasons, but one of the reasons was like I was attaching my self-worth to it. And so whenever it wasn't performing, it was making me depressed and like, oh, I'm not worthy, blah, 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 blah. Because I, before I landed on what I'm doing now, the short documentaries, I had pumped out around 280 videos wow. and that was like 280 failures because between those 280 videos, I think I maybe had 40,000 views. So it's like basically nothing across the videos. Um, 
Just ignore the hand signals. <laughs> Those are for us three. Yeah. yeah. And this uh, means nothing, trust us. <laughs> <laughs> so so um whenever you're just like putting all that out there, because I'm an independent creator and it's like it's my artwork, right? My yeah. filming is my artwork, that's my craft. And so doing 250 videos, putting them out and getting no return, it's like constant rejection the whole time. And it just get it wears on you. Like no matter how strong you think you are, if you've if you have like any sort of connection to identity to it, it really messes you up. Yeah. Especially it makes it really easy to connect that because it's like the channel's self-titled. The channel is Dylan McGaster. Yeah. And so it's like Dylan McGaster as a channel is failing. Dylan McGaster as a human is failing. That's how it translated. Obviously, that doesn't make sense. Um, but that's how I felt. And so basically, I just came to the realization that the way I was doing it was not working. And if I wanted it to work, I would have to change something. Go figure. <laughs> it's not working. Um, the so, definition of insanity. Yeah. yeah, yeah it is making 280 videos that don't work. <laughs> uh, so, so I just kind of like looked at what I was doing. I was hanging out in New Hampshire and Maine for a while. And a friend that I was staying with, she had a, uh, a cabin up in Maine that was like a tiny house. It was really just, it's, it's a cabin. Um, but it's, you know, it's small. And so I was, she let me go up and stay in her cabin. And I was just hanging out in the woods of Maine, trying to figure out like, what am I going to do with my life? And I was like, hey, I really like tiny spaces. I've always been into that. Like in high school, you know, I'd be binge watching on YouTube, um, different tiny spaces, different vehicles, just all the different alternative styles of living. Because in the, the school system and the current system that we grow up in in America, we just get shown traditional American living, very cookie cutter, very systematized. Like, okay, you're going to go to school, then you're going to go to college, and you're going to get a career, then you're going to have a house and kids. It's like, that's not a bad way to do it. If that's what you want to do, totally do that. Um, but if it's not what you want to do, don't think it's the only option. And so I knew it wasn't the only option, but I didn't know how to not do that. So I was just kind of stumbling my way through it. So then I was staying in this cabin. I was like, hey, what if I just make a video of this cabin and just see what happens? And so I filmed that. And then I was like, that was really fun. I really enjoyed filming that. I didn't post it. Um, and then I just started looking around the area and I you know, went up into Maine and I filmed, um, it's actually, I think it's my fourth most viewed video, um, was this guy Jesse in Maine and he's got a tiny house and he built it whenever he was like 18. Uh, and I really filmed that like a, a documentary, like a short documentary. And I just spent like a whole day, like a solid 12 hours just editing that. And I was just loving it. I just loved editing it. And I put it together and it turned out like really well. And so I started posting the I created a short backlog, maybe like five videos. And I started posting these um, tiny house tours. And if you look at the very beginning ones, they're really different than the way I do now, except for that one of Jesse. That one's kind of like, that was kind of like showing me my format. Um, so I started posting those and I just saw actual like change in growth. Because before that, <laughs> it was basically flatlined. Like maybe I was pulling a thousand views a day, but you know, it wasn't changing. It took me two and a half years to get to a thousand views a day, 6,000 subscribers total. Right. What, what, what time of what time, what year and time of the year, not like autumn of, or, or summer, but the month yeah. was this change happening? So I started posting the videos I post now in July of 16. So I started filming mm -hmm. them basically in June of 16. So if like you were to go to my channel and go to the playlist, you could find an 
unlisted playlist called Old Vlogs, which I don't recommend watching because they're terrible and really <laughs> embarrassing. But if you were to watch that, you'd see uh, at the end of that, I was up um, on a fishing boat in Massachusetts. And so I was working on that fishing boat and I was still pumping out videos. And that's whenever I was just like realizing it wasn't working and um, I was just kind of completely lost. And so that's whenever I was really trying to figure it out. And I uh, went up into Maine and bought my van. And uh, it was after my van that I started making the videos that I make now. Uh, so I don't know if like people think this, but it, it might look like I live in a van because I make these videos. But really, it was like, okay, I'm a tra I'd been backpacking six months previous to this change. And so it was like, well, I'm not going to stop traveling and I'm not going to stop moving. That's just not negotiable for me because I don't want to. Um, and so it was like, okay, well, how do I do that? I've been three months in South America and then I did three months in the U.S. and I'm kind of done living out of backpack for a while. And so for me, it was like a van is just the most reasonable option. It makes sense. Um, so for me, moving into a van was like a necessity and it really kind of facilitated the lifestyle that I wanted. And then I made the switch to the videos I make now. Um, and but it, but it's interesting that in the in the path, the path that you went trying to figure out what was going to work on YouTube, your path coincided in 2016 with the explosion of the tiny house movement. Yeah, is that about yeah, right? Yeah, very much so. Yeah. yeah, and so it's it's interesting to see that your success was partly due to your perseverance because mm -hmm. you know you if you like you you were saying outside the studio. You just start something, and as long as you don't stop, you haven't failed. And yeah. as, as you kept doing that, you just kind of ran into this movement stream and tapped that well, and then kaboomy, it just kind of took off. It looks like. Yeah. Well, was it Seneca that said, uh, luck is when opportunity meets, what is it? No. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. opportunity. Yeah. 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 Um, well, the other thing I wanted to say, he was talking about how many videos um, he had produced that he felt like he was failing. I also want to talk a little bit about sort of vulnerability. That's... 200 plus times he sort of put himself out there in the mm -hmm. world. So I want to yeah. also um, highlight the sort of coincidental uh, meeting of his passion when he filmed the, he didn't mind at all editing the video that was the content and the, the sort of subject matter that he was really passionate about. So that's, that's as interesting to me as well. Is that's that true, his, yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and even if he didn't even sort of, it didn't appear, I'm putting words in your mouth, it didn't appear as if you consciously knew necessarily, um, but all of a sudden became this subconscious, like, I love this. This is cool. Mm -hmm. Like the editing and you, you know, really put yourself into it. So well, but almost, a, almost a convergence of several different mm -hmm. scenarios. But you edited the com comedian sketches you did and you yeah. edited the other ones you did yeah i've edited all my videos so what was the difference between the ones that turned out crappy and this one the the, the beginning ones that you did that you really love the editing process because you're editing the whole time correct so for me the whole journey i mean it's my life journey right mm -hmm. so there's a lot more to it than just like the channel which yeah. is what everybody sees and people only see success right they never see the yeah. underside of the iceberg right um and so for for me that shift was like previous to making these short documentaries, the whole channel is kind of focused on myself and that might work for some people. There's a lot of reasons it didn't work for me. One of the reasons was like, whenever I started, I was 19 and yeah, 19, no 20. And, um, 
I basically had like no life experiences, right? So it's like, why would anybody want to watch my life? Nobody would because I'm, you know, I'm just like this moron that's just like stumbling around. Like I used to be a power lifter. So I weighed like 205. I was jacked and like wore flat bills and, you know, just kind of like this douchey dude, um, which is really like, people would look at me, they'd be like, we'd hang out and they'd be like, yeah, I, you know, I thought you were going to be a douche, but you're actually really cool. It's like, <laughs> sweet. I'm glad I'm putting that out there. Like, you know, first, first look is, yeah. yeah. So um, for me, the switch away from myself and focusing on other people's stories and like, not me, uh, was a big help. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also, but making that switch and then creating, the reason that first video was like so exciting to edit was because I felt like I was making a whole story, right? I, I interviewed this guy. We did like a 30-minute interview and we went through his background and how he got into it. And, and then we did a tour of the house and it was like, oh, the video's actually got a format and like we're telling a story and then there's inspiration. And it's like, it, it really helped the guy that I filmed because he, some of the things he said were just like so poetic. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> And it so his whole, it came up with his whole collection of hashtags. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, like he said some things that were just so powerful. I can't remember exactly what he said, but uh, one of the things in the video is he's like, yeah, I like living in the forest where I have to park my car and then walk through the woods to get to my house. And I have to do that whenever it's raining. I have to do that whenever it's snowing. Um, and he was like, and, and so I, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but he said something, something along the lines, how, you walk through the woods and you get hit with raindrops. And he's like, and I appreciate those raindrops. Mm-hmm. It's like, damn, man. Like, you, yeah. can't, you, can't, like, you can't like tell somebody to say that and yeah. be that right. Because it was so authentic. Like, authentic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, so like hearing stuff like that and then enjoying actually sculpting a story and having a proper format to the videos. Because before that, it was just kind of like travel vlog kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I'd go out and be like, I don't know what I'm going to film today. And uh-huh. then it's like, eh, make a story, which was really <laughs> helpful as far as like learning how to build a story and learning how to edit and yeah. learning how to film and all that kind of stuff. Um, like I wouldn't change the way I did it because I had 280 episodes of practice. Yeah. Um, and, I got, and I'm really fast at editing yeah. um, now because of that. Uh, so that that mixture of just like, creating a story that's actually engaging and inspiring and has meaning because that was one of the things whenever I was making these travel videos it was like well what's the purpose of these videos like what is the message behind these videos what is this and that and there it was it just didn't feel like a thing yeah um because because one of the reasons was like there was no forethought to the videos it was just kind of like go out and film and then figure it out in the edit bay which is like a terrible way to do it um, and now you have a whole agenda yeah. and a shot yeah. list. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Now I've got a proper format um, and I, I treat it like a proper show. So it's like, this is the show that I make. It's the, um, I was calling it the Monday show because I was posting on Mondays, but now I'm experimenting with posting on Wednesdays. So now, you know, this is just like how I talk with my managers and whatnot. But um, I really treated it as, as its own independent show. So then it's like, okay, what are the people expecting whenever they're coming here? What are... You know, there's got to be that format and that familiarity so that they know what they're going to get, but it needs to be mixed up enough so that it's still exciting. Yeah. What? Who are these managers you're talking about? Yeah. So I've got um, I've got two managers in New York City, Mike and Jared. Shout out, Moment (laughs) Management. 
Um, they, <laughs> they, they work with, a, a, I think they work with six creators, um, which is really nice. Cause I'm also six, with wait, like YouTube six creators? creators, six creators, <laughs> six creators. Oh, they work oh, with exclusively six sixth graders, <laughs> only sixth graders. And they make bank. Yeah. <laughs> you would not believe how many sixth graders parents have. They just start rolling it out. No, I think he has six six creators that they work with it's they started this company um and they they're entrepreneurs and they've started companies previous to that um and so i was working with a guy and i got introduced to them and i worked with them for a little while and then um i was like thinking about how they they worked with this guy i know and they seemed like really beneficial because like i'm also with an mcn which is a multi-channel network i'm with full screen um and they might not like this if they listen to it, but they don't do like a super great job. They're not super engaging with their creators. It's yeah, just they'll like, be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, an, it's like a network, right? So it's yeah. like, and they've got their money makers that they focus on, like right. whatever, you know, 80, 20 rule, right? Right. right? right. So they've got their few channels that they really focus on and I'm not one of them, <laughs> which is fine. Like whatever. So <laughs> they helped me in some ways, but they weren't what I wanted. Like mm. I really needed somebody to help me with like, you know, overall channel management and like strategy and goals and just all that kind of stuff that is really heady and abstract. And you kind of have to talk through with somebody to figure it out. Um, and one of the things with YouTube is nobody really knows what's going on with YouTube, yeah. especially, especially if you're not in YouTube, like even YouTubers have no idea what's going on. Um, <laughs> but at least with people that are in the sphere, you can kind of like talk about not knowing what's going on opposed to anybody <laughs> outside. It's, it's always like, okay, how do you make money? It's like, sweet. This is how I make money. And then it, it's like, Okay. And then it changes because yeah. YouTube changes their, <laughs> yeah. changes yeah, exactly. their mind yeah. the next day about yeah. how they're actually going to pay you. Yeah. So I, I, I worked a job and I met these managers and then I approached them and said, Hey, I want to work with you guys. And so they helped me. Um, basically everything that comes into my inbox, I send to them and it's like, okay, you figure out what's worth working with. And, um, and then they haggle with all that, which is really helpful for me because I hate email. Yeah. Um, and I'm just like working on removing myself from digital communication in general. Mm. And so to, for me to be able to like shove all that off to them and it's like, I'm really blunt in emails too. It's like if, if somebody were to read my emails and not know me, it's like, oh, this dude's an asshole. It's like, yeah. <laughs> uh, he used to be a like, stoked up guy. Yeah. He used to be a douche. <laughs> now he's just an asshole. asshole. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I, I'm good in person. It's just all this online stuff. It's, you know, I hate typing. So it's just like, do you want this or not? <laughs> and it doesn't come across right. So it's nice because I can send that to Jared and he'll be like, yeah, okay, let's rework this. Soften this yeah. a little bit. So are they like business managers or personal managers yeah. or a little bit of all those yeah. things? Yeah. Kind of all of it. Okay. Yeah. So they help me with um, like my goals as a human as mm -hmm. well as like my goals as a channel. And they help me across all my social medias um, and they really help with the brand deals. They organize all of that. Um, I mean, I have the say on everything. Cool. So it's like, I shut down most deals I get. I'm really particular about what I let on my channel. Um, but they, they're really helpful in that area. Hmm. So, okay, let's change the subject. I, I want one to, of those. Yeah, I, I need a personal professional yeah. manager to collaborate with. Let's talk about the people. They are that, helpful. I bet they are. <laughs> let's talk about the people that you interview. So yeah. um, how do you find these people? All right. So the way I find them, it's different. Um, a lot of the time, sometimes I just stumble upon them, right? And it's just like, hey, this guy knows this guy. Like, that's how I met this guy named Eddie Landis. Is He built this pirate ship, basically. It's a ferro cement 
uh, mini schooner. It's got four sails. It took them a Did decade. Did you say it's to, cement? Yeah, it's Faro cement. It's a type of building. So like what they do is, is they make the this cement. I have no idea. Oh, okay. Um, but they make this metal mesh um, wiring for mm-hmm. the, the structure of the boat, and then you cement over that. And so it's like <laughs> a really thin layer of cement. And wow. the reason they don't do it anymore is because they're hard to build, and if you don't build it right, your boat's fucked. And <laughs> you sink immediately. <laughs> yeah. But, but this guy, he was, he was like sealing these boats, and he huh. did it for a living, so he built his own, and he like got the blueprints in the mail, mail and literally built everything on the boat like all the metal um connections like he he welded them together and wow. forced them cut the metal and he did the same thing with his house and but this guy I, I just met because i met him through this guy named travis who i also made a video about who i met through abel zill and oh, so okay. like that one was just like oh my god i just stumbled into this amazing story that's like it's really one of like the, my favorite videos i've made um because the guy's such a such a cool character um and so like that's one way that sometimes works uh a lot of it's through instagram and through the internet um that's that's how i meet a majority of people i would say is through instagram just searching through hashtags and there's a lot of online research um that's like really boring and (laughs) not the fun parts of the job but you got to do it kind of like finding guests for our show yeah kind of like like that it really is you kind of like scatter you know some of them are referrals from other people we've mm-hmm, interviewed. Mm-hmm. Some of them are just people that come up on news stories mm-hmm. or that we think is mm-hmm. interesting. And so it sounds like the process is similar. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty similar. I mean, it's, you know, research and finding people and finding good stories is just difficult. So it takes a lot of time. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's mostly Instagram, though, because the hashtags make it really easy to search. And there's a few tools online where you can... Um, organize like locations and organize hashtags mm. and that makes it really helpful but then it's like well now i'm not getting stories that are on instagram and not everybody's on instagram right. oh right right why is it that people who live in vans in their conversions need to live stealthy um it just depends on where you are so the pacific northwest is like super chill and you can get around <laughs> most of the pacific northwest without being stealthy at all and uh-huh. nobody cares like i know people that and some of Southern California is like this, but not near as much. Like I know a guy that lives in Venice and he sleeps every night with his car popped up. Like he's, he's got a synchro and um, Justin Burbage shout out. He's, <laughs> <laughs> every, every night he's got it popped up and like sleeps in the top. And it's like, that's not stealthy at all. You right. totally know someone's exactly. in there. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. um, but uh, that works there. But I've also been in places in Southern California where I've gotten a knock by the police and they're like, hey, you know, it's illegal to sleep in a vehicle, right? And I'm like, that's stupid. Um, but I'll leave because you have a gun. <laughs> so, you know, that was a you, good choice in your life. Yeah, by the way. probably one of your better. Yeah, yeah. Rules inter- interacting with the police. They have guns. You don't. Mm-hmm. Just listen to them. Exactly. You know, like right. worst comes to worst, they can kill you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's just like even if accidentally. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's like you know, it's n- not probably not going to happen. You just have to keep that in mind. Like, don't backsass the police. It's not a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> they tell you to do something, just do it. Um, so, yeah. So if you're in cities where they're not near as cool with it, um, it's a good idea to stay kind of stealth under the radar. Okay. And something else that's, that's beneficial with that is with vans, since they're, it's just a normal van, it takes up one parking spot. And so for me, I can park in residential areas relatively mm-hmm. regularly. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to park in a residential area that has no cars on the street because that's just creepy right yeah. <laughs> yeah. but if uh if they're like portland 
Portland, all the residential streets are pretty packed. Mm -hmm. So then I can just pull into a spot and park there for the evening if I need to. Um, It also helps for um, if you're doing parking lots like Walmart or Safeways or stuff like that. Um, It just... you know, it just keeps you under the radar and you're less likely to get knocked on opposed to like a bus or an RV. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the reason for stealth. I, I don't think it's necessary. I know a lot of people that don't stealth and mm-hmm. they've been fine. They've had less run-ins than, with the police than I have. Interesting. Um, but it really just depends. Like, okay, how much time are you going to be spending in cities? If you're going to spend a lot of time in cities, then you're probably going to need to stealth a little bit. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, you can't park in my town overnight. No, no way. As a matter of fact, we got a, I don't know, Walmart pretty recently, a couple of years ago, and all the residents were just flipped out about Walmart's policy of letting really? people stay in the parking lot. So our town actually created a rule, created a law that actually trumped uh, Walmart's rule. And now there's posts all over the mm. whole town. Um, yeah. Absolutely no but you can't overnight parking in the Walmart yeah. parking lot specifically. You cannot, well, or in, any place in the town, or I mean, any place, or any place in the town. And, and hmm. again, I live in a really, really, I mean, you know, sort of uh, sphincter like, douche, douche like, you know, kind of part of town. So yeah, yeah they, they're all uptight. But on the flip side, however. Um, you also cannot even park your own personal RV in front of your house. Really? For more than 24 hours. That's so um, stupid. You it's can't so park stupid. it on the yeah. side of your house. You can't park it in your driveway. Even you can't I, park it in really? your backyard. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, two so words. The, Cousin Eddie. Yeah. So the storage, uh, the storage, <laughs> the RV storage industry in our little town is booming. I bet. And they're building like six more. There you wow, go. that's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, I Crazy. understand why the laws are there. That way, it's like okay, you don't want a bunch of like, you know, hobos, Dushy van people. Yeah, you know, a bunch <laughs> of, yeah, like you don't want a bunch of because there's you know there's like two types of people that live in vans: ones that choose it, and ones that don't. Right. And if you're one of the people that didn't choose it, it's like probably not a great time for you. And you know, maybe it's not you're all not looking making, great. Exactly. You're not making exactly. the best decisions mm, in life yeah, right now. Yeah. Well, also in Portland, we have the whole. Um, uh, zombie RV. We have the the zombie RVs now that are taking over North Portland and uh, mm. oh, Northwest, I know what you mean. Portland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These really old uh, caravan type RVs, like from the seventies, mm-hmm. and it, they're zombies because they look like nobody lives in them, and they're ratty as hell. And usually, when they stop, all this shit kind of falls out from them. And <laughs> oh, so it nice. looks like a yard sale. <laughs> wow! Not literally falls out, but after like an hour or two, there's all this stuff around them. Yeah, and so. And most of them don't really, really either run or run that well. So right. there's a guy so the, actually yeah. locally that just side tangent for a moment. There's a guy actually locally that goes to these R, to the auctions mm-hmm. and he'll buy these again, zombie RVs for 50 bucks, 100 mm-hmm. bucks, 150 bucks or whatever. Because by the time they get to that derelict stage, right. no one wants them. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's actually more costly to recycle them than anything. Oh, so interesting. he buys them and then he actually sells them, you know, 500, mm-hmm. 600 bucks a piece. And then um, people will park them somewhere and then they just live in them yeah. for a month or two mm. because that $500 was cheaper than any place else they could live. Yeah. Um, keeps them out of the weather. Yeah. And then they just walk away from them when they're done. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you never know whether or not there's actually someone in there or the person right. in there has already left. Right. Mm. But anyways, that my point is, I guess, in bringing <laughs> that up is that is really what sort of uh, hinders, shall we say, some of our freedoms is when 
other people make poor choices and poor decisions and yeah. and that's kind of what raises the eyebrows of of communities. Yeah, it's interesting because the it, what's happening there is someone's trying to exercise their freedom but they don't mm-hmm. have the means to meet the threshold of what decent living is in the eyes of other people. That's yeah. the problem. And so so I want to ask you um what is what is what are some of the most interesting living situations you've covered on your show? Some of the most interesting living situations um, there's some down in the Southwest that are, they get pretty interesting living in the desert. Like that's always a one that confuses oh, like that me. Woman like, who right? was living in the, uh, pink Adobe house, the domes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Yeah. I've got one video, um, on Bonita domes that it's, I think it's five domes and they're earth bag mm-hmm. structures. So for people that don't know what that is, that's, um, you've got like this long plastic tube that like beans and rice come in. And you get in, in Joshua Tree specifically and in, in kind of like the Mojave Desert area, the soil's perfect for that because the, just the uh, type, it, it's really good for building. So all you have to do is add a stabilizer to it. So some oh. people add lime, some people add like a concrete mix to it. And so you take that and you mix in your stabilizer and a little bit of water and then you jam it into these bags and then you pack it down. So you've got this big tube of rammed earth basically and then you start coiling them up into a dome so it looks like a pinch pot and then you plaster over it and um from what i understand they're like really really sturdy and durable they're pretty much fireproof um from what i understand they're really good in earthquakes which is good for southern california um and they're really cheap they're really cheap but they're kind of labor intensive Mm -hmm. um but they're easy to make uh so that's one of the ones in in uh that's in joshua tree and then in new mexico there's a lot of earth ships which are different they're quite a bit different they generally use um tires for their structural part yeah they take old tires that you know that are just going to be scrapped and they'll ram them full of earth again so pack them full of earth and then you stack those up kind of in a um what shape of it like a bracket right so three-sided uh rectangle and uh you you stack those up to make your walls uh stacking them unevenly so they overlap and create this uh, stabilized structure and then you put a berm behind it of earth <laughs> and and then you seal the inside so a lot of people like people comment on the video they're like don't you know tires are toxic dude like you're totally going to get cancer living in there. It's like, you know, most people have considered that. And by using recycled tires, they're pretty much done off gassing, right? It's not like a brand new tire yeah, yeah. that you just got from discount tires or whatever. That's I like that's reeking. the proper voice for anybody in every cynical yeah, post on yeah, the yeah. internet ever. Yeah. Excuse me, man. Did you not think about this? Well, actually I did because I built the house. Exactly. Yeah. That's always my favorite when people are like, did you think about this? It's like, Dude, I built the house. <laughs> like, of course I thought about it. Like, you're, this idea just came into your brain two minutes ago. Now you think you have the solutions, right? Like, sweet, man. I'm so glad I'm listening to you behind the keyboard. <laughs> Not to shit on people that comment, but come on. <laughs> so, so anyway, you see the inside. shit on people who shitty comment. <laughs> yeah, yeah there you go. Okay, there's a difference. Yeah. There's yeah. a difference. That's what it is, right? It's like, the people that comment on YouTube, like you always have to look at the percentages, right? Because I tell people this whenever they get on my channel, it's like, okay, 
if you're going to read the comments, it's going to suck. Um, <laughs> <Just> <laughs> which is, right which is funny because like my comment section is really tame on YouTube. It's like mostly positive comments, really? but there's a lot of assholes on there. Right. Um, and so it's like, okay, you got to look. Okay, look at the percentage of people commenting. Okay, there's 200,000 views and there's a thousand comments. Yeah. All right, so that's, you know, that's what 0.5% yeah, right. people commenting. And then you have to think about, all right, what's the kind of person that comments on a YouTube video? <laughs> well, that's already a specific type of person. <laughs> Even if it's not a positive con comment, it's like, all right, now who leaves a shitty comment on YouTube? Right. Oh, okay, this is a person I would never want to meet in real life. I would right. never want to hang right. out with them. Right. Right. As long as right. you keep that in mind, you can kind of get past it, but well, it still gets even, under your skin. It's sometimes. not just YouTube. We, we've discussed it before. I don't think our sh that show, I don't think we ever released the F show, did we? No, we didn't. No. We didn't release it, but I mean, um, it's not just YouTube. Like it's any article, yeah. any blog, anything, anywhere. Um, sometimes it seems like Really, you have nothing better to do than you sit on your couch and shit on people's dreams all yeah. day. Yeah, it's it's one of the negative sides of freedom of speech, but you got to have it. Yeah, because you can't you can't not have you can't it. Parse right? it it's out. Like, yep. You it's just got to deal with the dickheads that say stupid shit on the internet. But and on just the other hand, going back, the episode, the, right? going back to the vulnerable part of that, though, I mean that's the thing. Remember, you talked earlier about the fact that this is this is my channel. It's got my name. I'm putting myself out there. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting to me, your psychological and emotional journey. Now yeah. you're like, oh yeah, whatever you suck. That doesn't, that's no reflection on me or my creativity. Yeah. But in the, in the beginning for the first 200 plus shows, you're sitting there going, oh man, I suck. Or maybe he didn't get any comments. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There wasn't a lot. Is that, is that equally as devastating probably? Huh? Yeah, I mean, it's both, right? Because you put it out there and you want people to see it, yeah. right? That's why you create. It's, and I mean, it's not the only reason you create, but one of the reasons you create is so people can see it yeah. because that's the idea. You want to impact people's yeah. lives with your creation. Yeah. Um, and so whenever you're putting it out there and it's not doing its work, you know, it's like, well, that's depressing already. It's it's Because the internet is just like this cold, hard judge that doesn't give a fuck about you right it just like it doesn't care who you are what yeah. you think about yourself yeah. or anything it only cares about performance yeah. which is awesome like that's the idea with the free market right it's it's just whenever you let it be it's its own world really it's just like hanging out in the wild right if you're out on a mountain that mountain doesn't care about you at all <laughs> and so the only way you're making it through that is if you make it through it mm -hmm. because if you stop that mountain's gonna kill you <laughs> Exactly. Um, it's exactly. the same, same idea with the internet it's yeah. like the internet doesn't care what your self-esteem is the internet doesn't care what you think about you like you might think you're all that in a bag of chips but <laughs> like it's really all about performance on the internet and it really judges quality and value yeah and so for me like one of the other shifts that i think really helped mm -hmm. my channel is i stopped thinking about just like i think one of the things was like i never really thought about what it would be like to have a successful channel. I was just doing it and trying mm -hmm. like acting on momentum. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is what most people do for most of their lives. It seems. Um, and so I, I took a step back and started asking, how can I bring value? Like what value am I bringing to the world with these creations and what I was making then, like you might watch it and, maybe you get value from it. Maybe it makes you laugh or something like that. But obviously it wasn't enough value for it to be successful right. because it wasn't successful. Right. Um, and, and so once I started thinking that and started thinking, okay, everything I do on the, on YouTube and everything in this video, it, 
can only be in the video if it adds value. Um, and now that's like all I think about whenever I'm trying to make videos or anything. It's like, okay, got this new show idea that I want to start doing on maybe on Saturdays, right? And it's like, well, how is this going to bring value to the viewer? Um, because you're asking for people's attention and yeah. their time. It's the most valuable thing people have. And some people don't realize that, that it's their <laughs> most valuable thing. And, you know, that's kind of one Isn't of the that reasons funny? our country's It's even more in... valuable than money, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Because totally it's a is. finite, it's a finite yeah. number. Nobody's got any more than anybody else. Right. So managing your emotional resources mm-hmm. and your time is way more important than your money even. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and you're right about some people not getting that because they spend a lot of their time like watching TV or something like or that. Or chasing money. Or chasing money. Mm-hmm. That's you a know, good Time wasted yeah. chasing money. Yeah. 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 I mean, I grew up on the internet, so I completely understand the wasting of time that happens on the internet. And um, it's just really interesting how for me being young raised in the United States, there's just a lot of things you don't get until you get out into the world. And there's a lot of things that I've learned that I don't think I would have learned without travel. Um, And one of those things is like your time is the most valuable, right? So if you learn how to make money, you know how to make money. It's just a skill. Like, Some people think that it's like this weird abstract concept that's magic, right? Like you get money and you do this thing and you get money and some people are rich, some people are poor, but it's a game. It's the money game and there's rules to the game and like how to get money and how to keep money and how to make money. And like once you learn those rules, then money's not really that important because it's like, okay, you know, no matter what happens, I know how to make money. And so money's not a worry anymore. So now... The, the question is like, okay, how am I going to have a positive impact in the world? How am I going to, you know, really add purpose and value and try to leave the planet a better place than it was before I got here? But some people never really get past the money stage and that just like wraps their mind up because they just can't figure out the game. Um, and they just don't know that it's a game that like really there are just rules to it. And it's like if you add value and you help people, you're probably going to make money. That's just how it works. Like people give money for value. Um, and, so, and so then once you know that, you, you can come to realize like, okay, so money's not the most important thing in the world, obviously. Uh, time is. And relationships and people. And so for me, I, I had to get past kind of the money thing to understand that. But for me, uh, it wasn't like making money that, brought me to that realization. It was like having no money and being broke and no potential money mm. that kind of brought me to that realization that it's like, oh, the money doesn't matter. Mm. Money, it really does. It's just a tool. Mm. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that's a um, millennial thing? My kids are kind of the same way. My daughter will turn down shifts all the time because you know her bosses are my age and they're like, hey, we're going to give you some extra shifts. She's like, mm. eh, no thanks. Mm-hmm. I'd rather you know spend my time doing something else. I don't know. Is it a sociological shift, do you think? Uh, or a generational shift? Or I think a lot of this has kind of popped in and started happening since 2008. I agree with, with that. With the downturn. I mean, yeah. that's when tiny houses blew up. Mm-hmm. That's when, as people are kind of coming of age during this time frame, looking at their parents, seeing the Not order bullshit shit. or whatever, yeah. and realizing, do I really need all that? Yeah. Um, so I think part of it is age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it has to do with the internet, too, because it's easier to make money now than ever. Because of the internet, you have mm-hmm. a global market now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not completely global because we don't, you know, once who, whatever company wins at 
doing the whole globalization of Wi-Fi and like once Africa's on the market and all of Asia's in the market, it's like we're going to have a really different world. Right. Um, but it's going to be easier than ever for people to make money, uh, which is, I think, really helpful. Because like, I just think about my own life, right? So I grew up in Kansas City. I dropped out of college. I don't have a college education. I have a GED that I kind of paid attention to in high school, mm-hmm. right? Like if you were to quiz me on world history or anything like that, I would do pretty bad. I would be good at some subjects that I've taught myself, but you know, the main stuff they teach you in school, like I don't know anything about, um, which it also like makes me wonder why are they teaching some of this stuff? <laughs> why did they not teach finances? Why yes. did they not teach taxes? Yes. Why did they not teach, you know, like all the things that are actually useful? In life? Mm. Um, yeah. And I don't know. I've, I've thought about that a lot, but I don't remember where I was going with that. Well, that's okay. Cause I think we're almost out of time anyway, aren't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we were talking about time management. <laughs> well, we were talking about time. Yeah, exactly. That's the tangent, that's the tangent we, we were go. going down. We were that's going down right. that tangent of talking about how important it is to manage our time yeah. and how money doesn't make as much managing your money isn't quite as important as managing your time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's been, that's been a lesson that it took me a long, long, long time to learn. Yeah. Also emotional energy, understanding when and when not to expend emotional energy as well. Mm-hmm. How long are you in Portland? Uh, I'll be in Portland for just a few days and then I'll probably head up to Olympia, Washington, okay. hang out with some friends and then down to Bend, Oregon for Descend on Bend. Descend on Bend yeah. nice. next little, weekend. Nice. Yeah. And then I'm headed back up to Washington, back up to Seattle for a kayaking trip. And then after that, um, probably head down to Mexico. Uh-huh. Very cool. Well, it was very nice coincidence of timing to have you in the studio. We love it when the guest is in the studio because it just makes for a better show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks, I thanks had a great here. time being yeah. here. Good. Dylan McGaster, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, Tiny House listener, Tiny House podcast listeners, you've heard yet another show that has been made perfect by Rick McNerney. Thank you, Rick. Thanks, Rick. Thank you. Have a good day. See you next week. See ya. Thank you for listening to Tiny House Podcast. To find us online, go to tinyhousepodcast.com, where you will also find our show notes, if we remember to put them there. Our logo was designed by the amazing Carolyn Maine. Our website is hosted by the gang at Sightcast. Our theme music is by Oma Studio. Please go to iTunes and give us a five-star rating, or whatever. You tiny house-loving bastard. Tiny House Podcast is probably made in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> <laughs>